There are many issues that plague youth. The church acts as a safe haven. It provides a place where youth can come together to hear the Word of God. Upper Room Media presents to you this Youth Talk, delivered from Sydney, Australia. You know, I'm going to spoil myself. Um, I decided to buy a brand new car. All the cars that I had previously were second-hand, run-down cars. This time I decided I'm going to buy myself a brand new car. Okay? So I went out, I bought myself a brand new car. First time I ever had a first-hand car. And um, I took it to the monastery and got it blessed by Boy Anthony from the monastery. That's important to this story. A week later, I was driving the car in the morning. And as I'm driving, I noticed I was driving very carefully. And if you've ever been in the car with me, you know that's not typically like me. Usually I'm a little bit more reckless, cutting in front of people, speeding a little bit. But I was driving very slow because it was my brand new car. And then I had this thought. I, God is my witness. This was my thought that morning. If something was to happen to this car, would I be disappointed? God is my witness. That morning I thought, if something was to happen to this car that I just bought, my brand new car, would I be disappointed? Sure enough, that same night, I was at a giveaway sign, stopped. Fully stopped at a giveaway sign, just in case my insurance company is listening. And um, while I was stopped, a car was turning into the lane opposite me, and he wasn't really paying attention, and he slammed right in front of, like, right into the front of my car, completely wiping it out, full speed. Instead of braking, he noticed, he noticed too late, got flustered, and then pressed the accelerator instead of the brake, and slammed right into my brand new car. The same day that I was thinking, you know, what would, what would I, how would I react if something was happening to my car? A week after I bought the car. Five days after I got it blessed by Gune and Montreal. Not hinting at anything. My immediate reaction, you'd think, after having all these thoughts and feelings, my immediate reaction, you'd think, would be, it's okay, like, just get out, make sure the guy's alright. It's not a big deal, it's just a car, it's not a big deal. But instead, started pressing on the horn and I held on to it for like at least a minute. This guy in the car that had just hit me started panicking. He was so stressed he couldn't even get out of the car. And then after I let go, I sort of told myself, like, just relax man, like he's having a good probably having a worse night than you. I got out of the car, I'm like, hey bro, it's, it's alright, he comes out, this short little Indian man, very scared for his life. And, you know, whatever, we exchanged details and I lost the car and never drove again. <laughs> but the point is, how can I learn? Some, for anyone, that would be a big disappointment. Right? A brand new car. You know, just bought it. Worked really hard for it. And then I lose it. Within a week. How can anyone learn to be content in that situation? How can anyone be like, it's not a big deal, it's just a car. That's what we want to accomplish. And if you're in my shoes, it seems impossible. To be honest, it seems impossible. How can I learn to be content even when things don't go my way? So what is the definition of content? One of the boys actually defined it exactly the way Oxford Dictionary defines it, which just means satisfied. To be content means to be satisfied. Or put another way, in a state of peaceful happiness. It doesn't say to be satisfied if. 
You know, I'll be satisfied if this happens. I'll be satisfied if things go my way. I'll be satisfied if things are okay in my life. It doesn't say I'll be satisfied when. I'll be satisfied when I achieve this. I'll be satisfied when I, you know, get this much money. It just says satisfied. To be content means to be satisfied. It's easy to be content when things are going well, but if things go wrong, or if one thing goes wrong, and all of a sudden I'm not content, then was I ever truly content to begin with? Um, like I said, we pretty much covered everything in our workshop up there. Um, and Angelo brought up a very crucial verse when it comes to discussing contentedness. Contentment in a spiritual life. Um, there's a very widely renowned verse in the biblical world. Um, and the reason I say it's widely renowned is because even non-Christians know this verse. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And Angela was saying, when you see that verse, it's usually in a very worldly setting. You know, I can do all things. I can put it on the top of their exam papers. I can pass this exam. No problem. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know? Before a big job interview, I can do all things. I can get this job. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even if I'm completely unqualified for this job, I can do all things, it's not a big deal. You know? I have Christ who's strengthened me. Um, Steph Curry, who made this verse famous in the sporting world, he has it on his shoes. I can do all things through Christ who's strengthened me. So athletes, athletes, you know, recite this verse. But what's the actual context speaking about when St. Paul writes this verse. What's he referring to when he makes this statement? Because it's a very bold statement. He's saying, I can do all things. I can do even what is seemingly impossible. I can do what's impossible through Christ's strength. What is this impossible thing that St. Paul believes wholeheartedly he can do? In the three verses preceding it, he says this, Not that I speak in regard to me, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. St. Paul recognizes that to be content is, a, is not only a deep desire for all humans, but also a near impossible thing to achieve. It is both a deep desire and a near impossible thing to achieve. It's a near impossible thing to achieve. The whole world is chasing this fear. The whole world chases this feeling of peace, of being satisfied, of being content. There's a whole religion based on it. The Buddhist religion is always striving to achieve a state of nirvana, which is a state of enlightenment, a state of total peace, total content. And there's an entire religion chasing this feeling. And St. Paul says, you can accomplish it, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can be a base, you can be a bound. So our topic today is how. How can I reach this state of true contentedness? True contentment. How can I achieve this state of true peace? Um, whenever there's a topic that starts with the word how, it needs to be practical. And so we're gonna be very we're gonna try to be very practical today. I'm gonna leave you hopefully with three practical points, three practical things you can do. But I want everyone within their hearts right now 
to make a promise that you will try to do at least one of these three things that we talked about today. Okay, so we are going to have a practical talk, but you have to promise within your heart that you're going to try to do at least one of these three practical points today. The first thing, and again, we discussed this in our workshop, and it's only appropriate this is that this is the first um, practical lesson when we're discussing feeling content, is to be grateful. There's a really interesting study on gratitude. Um, it's a scientific study. The brain is comprised of different portions. And the section which expresses feelings of gratitude, which is the medial prefrontal cortex, is also the same section which expresses feelings of stress and anxiety. But the study was explaining how if I focus all my attention on my stress and my anxiety, then it diminishes the feelings of gratitude that I have in that section of the brain. But if I'm constantly showing gratitude, then that positive emotion can be a treatment for my stress and anxiety. The study says this, gratitude exists in this area and is connected to systems of the brain that regulate emotions and support stress relief, such as heart rate, arousal levels, and pain. When activated, these areas of the brain can boost positive emotions and protect against feelings of anxiety and stress, leading to an overall calmer mood. Imagine, I'm stressed and all I need to do is show a bit of gratitude. Um, it is a cure for depression. Father Anthony Nassir has, from America has a really beautiful series on this concept. Um, I forget the name of it now, but one quote from it stands out to me. It says, depression and thankfulness cannot coexist. Scientifically, they can't so coexist. When someone is depressed, they see the world as a very dark place. As a very dark place. And it's hard to be grateful for anything. So it's important that I start to learn to show gratitude from now, because it is a protection against anxiety, it is a protection against stress, it is a protection against feeling discontent, okay? But I learned tonight, I want to focus not only on being grateful for, you know, anything. Specifically, the practical lesson is to be, learn to be grateful to your present condition, to your present situation, no matter what it is. Whatever position you're in right now, whatever situation, Learn to be grateful for it. Um, if you feel discontent with where you are right now, you might be thinking, um, as we mentioned in if only I get into that course, I'll feel content. If only I you know, get into a relationship, I'll feel content. If only I get that job. One of the things that I've heard a lot recently is, you know, I'm gonna work really, really hard now, I'm gonna suffer now, I'm gonna be miserable now, I'm gonna hustle, 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 I'm gonna make heaps of money, and when I have all that money, then I'm happy. Then I can be happy. Then I can be content. Um, if this is how you think, if you are chasing this feeling, then I promise you, you're going to be very disappointed when that time comes. If that time comes. Because we started, it may never come. You know, we can't control things that happen in our lives. It may never come. But more importantly, it's not what gives true content. If you're not content with your, with your present condition, you will never find content 
with your future situation. If you are not content with your present condition, you will never find content with your future situation. Um, and the church, in her wisdom, teaches us to practice thanksgiving in all our present condition multiple times a day by giving us the prayer of thanksgiving. In the prayer of thanksgiving, we say what? Let us give thanks every occasion, in every condition, and for all things. Let us give thanks for every occasion, in every condition, for all things. Even this present one, when I might not be content, when I might not be at peace, when I might be suffering, when I might be going through a challenging time, when I might be waiting for results, when I might be waiting for interviews. When I'm waiting, even in this present condition, I learn to be thankful. And to prove that it is important to be thankful for our present condition. Um, know that it is one of the devil's favorite tricks to remove your thoughts from your present situation. The devil loves making Christians forget about the present. Um, in the Screwtape Letters, which is a book about uh, Uncle Devil speaking to his nephew, um, and giving him advice on how to make Christians fall. He says something along the lines of, if you want a Christian to fall, remove him from the present. Make sure he's never thinking about the present. Let him think about his past. You know, let him think about the past where he made mistakes. Make him regret it. Make him regret his past. Or make him think about the future. Make him worry about it. Anxious about it. You know, what's going to happen to his life. But keep him away from the present. Because in the present is where he finds God. The past is frozen in time. The future doesn't even exist yet. The present is where he finds his God. So remove him completely from thinking about the present. There's a really beautiful story about a missionary um, who went and preached in a very um, rural village in, in Asia. And in Asia, some parts of Asia, it's illegal to preach Christianity. And so while he was there, he got, in, he got arrested and thrown into a prison. But it wasn't just any prison. It was an isolated prison. And it was just a hole in the ground that was covered by um, some kind of, you know, metallic roof. It's just a hole in the ground. And there was a little latch which they would open and throw him a bucket so that he could go to the toilet or throw him his food, his meals. That's how they would communicate with him. And he was stuck in there for about nine months. Okay? Just a hole in the ground in Asia. And he was recognized in his church back home as a very joyful person, a very happy person. And so everyone was concerned about how this experience would affect him. If this experience would completely break him. So when he was finally released and he went back home, they all asked him, what was it like being in that prison, completely alone, in the dark, little to no food every day, no sunlight for nine months, what was it like? And his response, which became very famous, was, oh, it was like a honeymoon with Christ. It was like a honeymoon with Christ. He says that with a huge smile on his face. That is someone who's learned to look at every situation, to, to live in the present moment, and recognize that each moment was ordained for him by Christ. Learn to be grateful for your present condition, no matter what it is. 
Do you think that person could ever be discontent with anything? That kind of person? No. Because they are grateful for the present situation, whatever that situation is. Um, so our practical point, that first practical point, is to be grateful for specifically for your present condition. And our practical application is this. Tonight when you get home, before reading the prayer of thanksgiving, sit down and write everything that you're grateful for today. Sit down and write everything that you're grateful for today. And watch how your demeanor changes. If you're going through a tough time, before you read the prayer of thanksgiving, sit down and write everything you're grateful for today. Because the issue is, once you start the prayer of thanksgiving, truth of the matter is, you're going to start being lost again. Right? How many times do we read the prayer of thanksgiving and we just, those big names, the prayer of thanksgiving, and we find ourselves stuck in that loop, and we've said the first line about 15 times, and then you have to do a walk of shame and grab your obey and have to read it even though you've memorized it your whole life. You know? How many times do we do that? Because we're just praying it aimlessly. Before reading this prayer of thanksgiving, write down everything that you're grateful for today, and watch how it changes your demeanor. Watch how it changes the prayer of thanksgiving that night. Do that and then read the prayer of thanksgiving and read it with meaning. So, practice point number one, be grateful specifically for your present condition. Our second thing is learn to not have, or say another way, learn the virtue of self-denial. Learn to not have. And there is a famous phrase, um, which everyone here have heard, which is less is more. Less is more. It's basically the slogan for those who live in a very minimalist lifestyle. People who choose, you know, quality over quantity and deny themselves basic luxuries in life. Um, the problem with society today is that we've made it abnormal to not have. We've made it abnormal to deny ourselves anything. Um, and worse, we've made it abnormal to not have immediately. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to get in your car, drive to the nearest blockbuster or civic video or whatever else you had before it blew up in Waterbo. You had to look around in all the aisles of our one comedy, mum wants action, dad wants horror. Everyone goes, picks out their movie, then you gotta take them home. You have to go get popcorn on the way back. You sit there arguing, what are we gonna watch tonight? And by the time you finish arguing, you already owe blockbuster two dollars to over two fees. You know? It's so difficult. Now, what do we do? I want to watch a movie. Netflix, Stan, whatever else there is, Prime. It's easy, I can have immediately. Back in the day when I'm hungry, I've got to get out. At best, I can order pizza from Domino's, which at best is going to come an hour and a half late. Now, the greets, menu log. We're so used to having these luxuries at the tip of our fingers. They come immediately. We're not used to not having, we're not used to denying ourselves. Um, Henry Carlson, who's an American Catholic minister, says this, the freedom we need for true happiness requires us first to deny ourselves. Being rooted in what we are now leads only to a dead end. If we struggle against God's grace, against his providence, if we struggle to remain as we are now, we will eventually find ourselves getting what we struggle for. Ourselves entirely closed anything but ourselves. If we want true content, we must deny ourselves. His last line, if we want true content, we must deny ourselves. True fulfillment comes from learning to deny ourselves. 
And in the spiritual sense, it opens up more of me to Christ. If I deny myself of basic worldly luxuries, it leaves more room within me for Christ. Um, some of you might have heard this story before, but a few years ago, I visited Jerusalem with a friend of mine. And while we were there, um, we stayed in a really like shocking hotel. It was literally rated two stars, but it was the cheapest one they offered, so we're like, oh, two stars are coming that bad. Um, it was that bad. Um, Aircon didn't work. My bed actually was missing a leg, so I slept on a sled every single night and I woke up busy. <laughs> um, the rooms were mess, messy. No one ever came to clean it. When we went to breakfast, the, the bread had mold in it. You know, shocking, shocking hotel. And every night we were accustomed to sleeping around 10 p.m. and waking up at 3 a.m. to go to the church of Golgotha and sit in front of the um, the cross or the tomb of Christ. We will do that every single night. Um, so we got accustomed to like pretty miserable living, but we were happy because we were taking in so much of you know the sight, so much of the holiness um, that exists there. And then in the middle of our trip, we had two days um, booked in to be in Galilee. And before we went to Galilee, my friend had booked this hotel in Galilee. It was five stars. Okay. And so the whole trip, we kept thinking, oh, we just got to you know, suffer for a few more days, and then we're going to get to Galilee. You know, or you can eat breakfast buffet, we're going to have an aircon in our room, we're going to have big beds to ourselves that you can't fall off in the middle of the night. You know, the place is beautiful. We were looking forward to going to Galilee. And then we got there, and the room was everything we expected it to be. It was five stars, it was beautiful. Got in, we were both, like I said, we were both accustomed to sleeping at 10. I got into my bed, I was very comfortable, turned the aircon on, had a TV, watched a few things, and then at 10 p.m. I was like, my friend, I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to save this, I'm going to enjoy it. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to go for a walk. I said, no worries. Like I said, our bodies are accustomed to waking up at 3 a.m. So at 3 a.m., my body just wakes me up, and I look to my left, and the bed that my friend was supposed to be sleeping in, was still made. It was empty. And so I started panicking. Um, because that day they had told us that we, we saw on the news that someone had been stabbed in Galilee and killed in Galilee. And so my mind went to the worst place possible. I'm thinking, the first thought, I remember my first thought. My first thought is, how the hell am I going to tell his parents that I have to bring him back in a body bag? Like, how the hell am I going to his parents if this guy died because I wanted to sleep at 10 p.m. and I let him go for a walk myself? I started panicking. And so I get out of bed, you know, fluster, I jump down, and as I'm about to run out to the front door, panicking, I see him sleeping there on the floor. Our one night in a five star hotel, and he decided we've denied ourselves this long, we're going to deny myself a little bit longer. Of course I saw that and I was like, all right, you enjoy it, I went straight back to my bed. I'm gonna enjoy this five stars while I've got my paint for the floor. But it's that kind of attitude that sometimes we need to adopt in our spiritual lives. That true content comes from denying myself. And when I learn to deny myself, I make more room for Christ. I learn to be content with the simple things in life. 
Um, there's another story about an ancient Greek farmer who owned, he owned a farm, and one day a horse randomly runs into his farm. And all his neighbors see his horse, and they're all like, oh, you're so lucky. Congratulations, you've got a horse for nothing. Just runs into your, gets into your, falls into your lap like that. How amazing. The farmer was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. And then the next day, his son was riding his horse. And as he's riding the horse, the horse throws him off, and his son breaks both of his legs. And the neighbors are all like, oh, that's so bad, that's so unfortunate. Now your son broke both of his legs, and he can't help you around the house. He can't help you around the farm. You're so unlucky. He was maybe, maybe not. The next day, the army comes around, conscripting all the young men to take them to the army, to the war. And they see his son, two broken legs, they're like, we're not taking him. So all the neighbors, congratulations, your son doesn't have to go to war, his life is saved, you're so lucky. He says, maybe, maybe not. The next day, the horse runs away. You're so unlucky, maybe, maybe not. The day after that, the horse brings back his entire family. And again, they say, you're so lucky, maybe, maybe not. It's that kind of attitude that we need to have in the spiritual life. Father Mark always says, hold things with an open hand. Ready to receive, but also ready to fall out. Ready to receive, but ready to fall out. If I have, thank God. If I don't have, also thank God. Learn how to do this. Learn how to let go. Learn how to not have. And so I thought a fun practical application tonight would be to do this. Um, I don't even have an iPhone, so I don't know how Androids work. But do Androids have that same feature where it tells you what your screen time? Anyone have an Android here? Does it tell you your screen time? Does it, does it give you like a top five apps? Okay, we're going to do something. We did it um, with the, the boys when we were in Thailand. We're going to do it today. I want everyone to pull out their phones. This is the one time you're allowed to pull out your phone in church right now. Everyone pull out your phone and go to your screen time. We're going to do it with you. Like I said, I'm going to give you three practical applications tonight. You can choose to do one of them, you can choose to do all three of them. So if this one's not for you, that's fine, I'm okay with that. Alright, I want everyone to look at their screen time, and everyone to look at their top five apps. Okay, um, who has TikTok as their number one app, or like in their top five? Okay, we've got one arm at the back. Hey, don't be embarrassed. We all, mine is... Mine is Spotify. Who's got, who's got Spotify or a music thing as they talk about the table? We've got a few people who have music. Who's got Instagram or Facebook? I've got a lot of Instagram. Okay. Anyone by any chance have got Duolingo? <laughs> hey, you're here. Duolingo in the top five. Last study in Spanish and Ron. When you see that, I say something in Spanish, you should understand. Um, WhatsApp? Definitely everyone's got WhatsApp. Okay, good. What we're going to do now, and if it's, if it's unreasonable, fair enough. I want, now I want you to look at your top 10. But I want everyone to delete one app from their top 5 for at least this week. Everyone delete one app. <laughs> Not do it again. I've heard this thing smash. I've heard it so much. Okay. 
The idea behind this is this. We spend so much time on our phones. We spend so much time, you know, trying to get dopamine in the quickest ways possible. And oftentimes that comes from our phone. Oftentimes that comes from social media. It comes from listening to music. It comes from, you know, receiving texts and sending texts. You know, we try to get dopamine in the quickest ways possible. And often it's right in our hands. Learn to deny yourself a little bit for a short while. And again, watch how it changes. Watch what life is like for one week without social media. One week. Watch what life is like without one week of YouTube. If that's what you spend the most time on. This activity is not for everyone. I understand that. But try and remove one thing. One thing. Learn to not have one thing that just feeds you this dopamine on a daily basis. Learn to not give yourself that luxury. Okay? That's our second point. Learn to not have, learn to deny yourself. Um, just for my own you know, survey, how many people believe in something just now? Just put your hands up. That's okay. No, there's no judgment at all. Okay, good on you guys. Everyone else, you can think about it. I know it's tough. You might not want to delete it now. You have to say goodbye to Instagram or whatever. Spotify raps, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Alright, last point, I promise. Our last point is very simple. Expose your discontent. Expose your discontent. St. Paul, in the verse we said right at the beginning, says, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things he said, I can do all things. That's an arrogant statement. I can do all things through, through Christ. Is someone who acknowledges, who acknowledges where that peace, where that strength comes from. Um, he claimed he could find content even in the most challenging circumstances, but the key was through Christ. He's not boasting, I can do anything. He's not boasting. He's boasting in Christ. And what makes this statement even wilder is where he wrote it. Where did St. Paul write the letters of Philippians? In prison. St. Paul made this statement in prison. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I learned how to be a base and I learned how to go down. I learned how to be content in all situations. And he writes that in prison. And he gives insight into how this is possible only a few verses before this one, which um, in my opinion, they're even more shocking than that statement he just made while he's in prison. While in prison, a few verses before it, St. Paul writes this, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which we've already spoken about, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. This is another very famous um, Bible passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God will surpass this thing. A peace that you know comes when it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense to have peace in certain situations. 
the peace of God that sustains St. Paul through shipwreck, through storms, through suffering, through scourging, through imprisonment, like right here. That same peace, that same peace of God can sustain you in whatever situation you're in right now. That's what he's saying. Be anxious of nothing, but make your best known to God. And that peace can sustain you in whatever situation you are right now. And the key, he says, all you need to do is let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Just let him know. That's what he says. Just let him know. Make him aware. Expose your discontent. Expose your situation to God. Um, St. Mary at the wedding came is an amazing example of this. St. Mary didn't come to Christ when they ran out of wine saying, hey, um, they run out of wine and what's that, you know, what's that thing that happened in the Old Testament with Moses? How he changed the water and he made blood. Can you do the same thing with wine? Like Moses can do it, you're, you're, supposed to, you're the son of God. Like, surely you can do it. She didn't say, Hey, they run out of wine. Do you think maybe um, you could send a few of the disciples to go out to the nearest bottler and bring back some of their cheapest wine or whatever they want? She didn't come with a blueprint. She didn't come with a plan. She just made her request known to God. Jesus, they run out of wine. She exposed the discontent. They run out of wine. And then she let him work. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament comes from 2 Kings chapter 19. Um, it's a story about King Hezekiah, who was the king of Jerusalem at the time. And at that time, the kings of Assyria had all banded together, they, they created a game, and they started taking over all the surrounding nations. And they'd taken over these huge nations um, surrounding them. And Jerusalem at the time was very small in comparison with these other nations. And then the kings of Assyria sent a letter to King Hezekiah. They sent a letter, it was a threatening letter by the hand of a guy named Sennacherib. And um, essentially the letter says something along the lines of this. It says, look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you, Israel, be delivered? Yeah, this is what that is to say. Like that, shall you, Israel, be delivered? We've destroyed all these huge nations, these massive nations. And you, little Israel, do you think you'll be delivered? Imagine it was like a whole bunch of you created a game, and then you decided, all right, tonight we're going to bash Jack. And you smash him. You take him down. Then after you bash Jack, you go and you bash Chris Green. Destroy him, flatter him. And then later that night, you're like, all right, we'll walk, let's all go together and smash Tom Salmon. Sorry, Tom. And you bash him. And then you come up to me and you're like, Mark, we smashed Jack. We smashed Chris. We smashed, we smashed Tom. Do you think you can fight us? No way. I'm dead. If I know you smash all these other big guys, strong guys, strong. <laughs> strong men. Do you think I'm gonna be the no way? I'd be terrified. Imagine King Hezekiah. That's exactly the end. He was terrified. 
He was frightened. And what does he do? What's his response? He says, this, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it, and then he went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. King Hezekiah gets the letter, he reads it, he walks off, he kneels before God, and he puts the letter in front of God. All he was doing in that situation was letting his request be made known to God. He was making God aware of the situation. He left it entirely in God's hand, didn't give him any instructions. He shows him the letter and then he reminds God who he is. He says, here is my problem, but remember who you are. Here is my problem, but you are God. Do what you want to do. You are God. Says this verse after that, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. This is my problem, but you are God. And this is the most important practical application, practical point when it comes to finding contentment in this world. Um, to make God aware of your discontent. If I'm discontent, that's okay, it's not a sin, it's not. It's not the end of the world. It's normal to be disappointed. It's normal that I lose my brand new car and I'm upset about it. You know? It's normal. But how do I respond? I need to make God aware of the situation. We used to have this saying on the Gold Coast. Um, I've changed that a little bit. When you are low on fuel, what do you do? When you are low, when your car is low on fuel, you get gas. When you're low on fuel, you get gas. You give everything to God and sleep. Give everything to God and sleep. You get gas. You know, we used to say if someone comes up, someone comes up to you on the golf coast and we're studying there, someone says, oh, man, I'm going to this hour. You just say, get gas, bro. Just get gas. Just give everything to God and sleep. The way you look is Whatever is bothering you, whatever is concerning you, whatever is giving you the most discontent in life right now, you write it down on a piece of paper after you pray at night, and you leave it in front of God, like in Hezekiah, you spread it before God, and you go to sleep. God, you are, this is my problem. You are God. Do what you want. I'm on to bed. Get gas. How beautiful would that be if that's how we responded to every situation? If we could tell each other to do that, get gas. When I'm struggling, just get gas. Give everything to God and say, What more can you do? This is your problem? He's God? Let him do it once. How much more peaceful would our lives be if that was our attitude towards anything to get gas? Um, I'll finish with the story. There was a girl who took this concept very seriously on the Gold Coast. Um, and she got herself a little box. Um, has anyone read Redeeming Love by any chance? So grateful. Um, it was inspired by this book and this concept that we have spoken about up there in our meeting. She got herself a little prayer box, and whenever she had any problems, she would write down the problem and she would write it, uh, she would leave it in that prayer box. Um, on her altar, on her prayer altar. Um, every single time, any problem, even if it wasn't hers. This person is sick, she writes it. This person has an exam, she writes their name. This person has a... And she just leaves it 
to God. It gets gas every single night. You know? And then one time, she started getting really bad back symptoms. She lives a very, very active lifestyle, this person. Um, it became very crippling. She couldn't do the things she enjoyed doing. She couldn't play sports. She couldn't go to the gym. She couldn't go on hikes. She couldn't do the things that she liked doing. And they kept getting worse and worse until she saw, um, she was referred to a neurologist who gave her a really bad diagnosis. Um, it's a diagnosis that would be bad for anyone, but for her in particular, it was a miserable diagnosis because it meant she couldn't do any of the things that she enjoyed, potentially for the rest of her life. And so that night, she wrote, she just wrote the diagnosis on the um, on a piece of paper, and she put it in the box and said, God, this problem belongs to you now. So she leaves it in her prayer altar, in her prayer box, and then she goes on with her life. And slowly, slowly after time, she finished all her investigations and things, slowly, slowly after time, the symptoms started to just wear away by themselves. Okay? And it's not one of those diagnoses, diagnoses that just vanishes. It's not. It's lifelong. And then one day, she had a follow-up with the neurologist, and the neurologist asked her all these questions, and he was shocked by all her responses. Do you have this symptom? No, that, that's gone. Do you have this? No, that's gone as well. Have you, have you had any symptoms? No, I haven't really had any in the last, you know, six months or so. She hadn't done anything. He says, okay, I want to do a few more investigations. He does a few more investigations, and he finds out that he said, you know, I've never seen this in all my years, all my experience, I've never seen this in my life, but I can, from your clinical presentation, from your investigations, I can confidently say, you know, you don't have this diagnosis anymore. It's gone. It's you. And so, then naturally, the response is, wow, you know, what a great miracle. You know, she's healed. The prayer worked. But really, if you speak to her, and you ask her about that six months, she won't say I was miserable because I couldn't do any of the other things. She won't say I was miserable because I couldn't you know, just do things that my lifestyle enjoyed, do my regular hobbies. No, I was happy. I was happy then. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.